Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. We definitely salute you that are here in the studio with us and those that are tuning in across the world. Uh, we send a special um, prayer out to our brothers and sisters in um, Africa, our two churches that we are working with there, uh, Bishop uh, Agoa and Pastor Majero, uh, wonderful men of God doing a great work there. And, and we just celebrate the Lord with and for them. We're excited about what God is doing here for Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center. And we are truly thankful uh, that he has presented us with yet another opportunity to share his love across the world through a program called Operation Christmas Child. You should be seeing a scroll that goes across the bottom of the screen that'll tell you a little bit more about this program uh, but we're encouraging you that if you can or will to help us uh, by supporting us with financial uh, donation, 100% of it will go directly to this valuable program. What this does is it sends boxes, shoe boxes, filled with gifts and um, cards and pictures and uh, items that are, are of need, and they go across the world to children. And when the children open them, they have the opportunity to not only receive things that they don't have normal access to, but they also get to receive letters and pictures of people around the world that are praying for them and that are trying to express the love of God to them. And it helps them to understand that they're not as alone as they think they are or as their circumstances would want them to believe. This is truly a valuable program, but as with anything in life, things cost money. I wish I could just write a check to pay for the whole thing and not have to uh, ask, but that is not the way the Lord set it up, at least at, at this time. So I'm asking that you would please help us to support this valuable effort by sending funds. If you don't want to build a shoebox and get it to us, if you're not local here in Columbus, Ohio, then we ask that you send finances. And we have people that will go out with those finances and they will fill a shoebox for you. We'll even put your name on it as part of the group that we send. The shoeboxes cost $10 each to ship. That's the shipping cost. If you don't want to fill a shoebox, but you want to be a part of this program, you want to help us minister God's love and grace across the world to uh, people that are in great need, then I ask that you allow the Lord to move upon you and uh, you send us donation in reference to just the shipping costs. And you can, in your donation, say that um, this is for Operation Christmas Child and this is uh, the money that we're sending to help cover the shipping costs, $10 per box. We would love to be able to send as many boxes as possible. I don't have really a top number. Um, I just want to send as many as we possibly can. So whatever you can do to help, if you can't send even just the $10, sending $5 to help uh, it, to cover the cost is a great help to us. Uh, and I thank you right now in advance by faith, knowing that the spirit of the Lord is moving upon your spirit and causing you to see the value of an operation of a program such as this. You can look it up as well, the, the program, hear the testimonials uh, on the Billy Graham uh, Ministries Operation Christmas Child website. Uh, you can just Google search Operation Christmas Child and you can see for yourself the impact that this program has. We don't have a lot of time left, 
uh, to get this accomplished. So I'm asking you, please, ma'am, please, sir, do what you can as led by the Spirit of God. Do it cheerfully. If it's begrudgingly, then I encourage you, hold back your giving. I want the cheerful giver who's willing to invest in what God is doing through his people to minister his grace in the world to be a part of this. Hallelujah. So I just say thank you in advance for all your support and help in, in this program. I want to talk to you today from the uh, topic or the title, Two Creations, Two Natures, But One Choice. One of the greatest things that God has given us is the ability to choose. We oftentimes talk about choice and we uh, believe that there are situations that come around in our life where um, you know, the excuse is, is I could not help myself, which is really code for I had no choice. When this really is truly a lie, we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to people. When we say I had no choice, I had to do what I had to do, uh, there was no choice in the matter as if I could not have gone a different way. And that is just simply not the way things truly are. In truth, you always have a choice. You may not like the consequences of whatever choice you make, but you always have a choice. And I want you to keep that as the foundation of your thought upon which I'm going to build. And I want to talk to you today about the cross of Christ. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, oh, well, that's an Easter message. Well, no, it's an everyday message. And I really want to impress up upon you the power and the principle related to the cross because many Christians know something about the cross. They've heard about the cross. They've seen the cross, even, you know, wear crosses. Uh, but they're not really clear about the principle and the power of the cross. What is the principle of the cross? Well, according to scripture, and again, we, we found everything upon the word of God. God has two creations in the universe. The first is called the old creation, and the second is called the new creation. Now, the new creation came into being by putting the old creation to an end and starting something new. You ought to put in the comment section, God, start something new in me. Amen. You see, only by putting away or putting to an end the old creation can a new creation come into existence. And it was by the work of Jesus on the cross that the old creation was put to an end. And it was through the work of Jesus on that same cross that the new creation began in the power of resurrection. Resurrection, not that is to come, but resurrection that has already occurred. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit more here in a minute. But all creation starts and ends with Jesus. There's nothing that is, whether you can see it, not see it, know about it, not know about it. All that is, is because of Jesus. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. There can be no creation without Jesus, but the power to live in one created state belongs to you. You have the power to determine which created state you will live in. You can choose to live in the created uh, state, which is the old creation, or you can choose to live in the new creation, which was born after the power of Jesus Christ. Now, 
I want to talk to you uh, briefly about the constituents of the old creation. And I want to really give you a, a bullet point list, so to speak, uh, of 12 parts so that you can track this old creation and understand fully what it is. The first item in the old creation are the angels with the angelic life. The second is man with the human life. And these are two kinds of beings with two kinds of lives. Now the archangel, the head of the angels, became rebellious against God and became Satan. Now we understand that Satan uh, in the form of Lucifer, uh, Lucifer was a cherub and he ruled in heaven. Uh, he sat over the throne of God and expressed God's glory. He was created in a manner in which through his own being he could express the glory of God into all creation. But because of his rebellion, he, uh, you know, changed into Satan and his name changed uh, because of it from Lucifer to Satan. And Satan simply means adversary. So he is the adversary of God. Satan not only rebelled, but he led rebellion against God, uh, including one third of the angels that followed him. Now, in Bible studies, we've talked about uh, the angelic host and uh, the number of them. And I've uh, always asked, what, what is the number uh, of the angels in heaven? How many angels are there that we might better define what one third is? And we all uh, have come to the understanding that according to scripture, the angelic host is innumerable. And because they are innumerable, then the one third that rebelled against God with Satan are also innumerable. You cannot put a number on them. But that one third of the angels followed the devil in rebellion against God. And we find this, this is supported in scripture. It's not my guess or my assumption, but Revelations, the 12th chapter, declares that one third of the angels, the heavenly stars, followed Satan's rebellion. Now, these rebellious angels became the spiritual forces of evil. They're the rulers, the authorities, the world rulers of, of this darkness that are mentioned in uh, the book of Ephesians and the sixth chapter. You know, those powers that we are in war against. Now, the rebellion of the angelic life produced the third and fourth items on the old creation list, which are Satan and his kingdom. So let me briefly, you know, give you some other parts of, of the old creation before we get into this a little bit more in depth. After the creation of the human life, the enemy of God also induced man to act against God. It seems that Satan's main goal is to stir up rebellion. And he didn't stop with the angels. He included man. And this act caused something to be injected into the human life, which is sin. The singular and personified sin. Now, the very sinful nature and the thought of Satan was injected into human life. So sin in this universe was caused by the injection of the fallen angelic life into the human life. So sin was not created by God, but birthed by the illegal union of the satanic life with the human life. 
So sin is uh, number five in the list of items in uh, the old creation. And not only did singular sin come into existence, but it also brought with it many sins. And because of this, as the fruits of sin, sins are the sixth item in the list, including lying, murdering, pride, fornication, adultery, and uh, many things along that line. All these sins were produced from the singular sin. So the world is the seventh item. The world was not created by God. God created the earth, but Satan invented the world. Now stay with me. Sin was invented in Genesis, the third chapter, but it was not until Genesis, the fourth chapter, that something was added to sin, which was Satan's invented world. So what is the world? The world is the system of all human life under Satan's rule. So the Greek word for world is cosmos, which refers to a system. It's not a physical place. It is a system. God created man for himself. But now Satan has systematized humanity. Man is no longer for God, but is wholly systematized by Satan and for Satan. And it's important that we understand what took place in the rebellion of man against God at the instruction or the induction of the devil. Another item besides these in the old creation is death. Death, which is the consequence of sin and that which was birthed from sin, which is sins. The flesh, the transmuted body, poisoned and ruined by Satan, is also of the old creation. So the body became flesh through the corruption of Satan as sin. So the old man is another item which is nothing less than the whole man ruined by Satan himself. Man was originally created by God, is now ruined because of sin. Next in this list is the self. So the soul was created by God, but it has become self. It threatened and corrupted, it was threatened and corrupted by the flesh. It, it is like the body. So God originally created the body as a good and pure thing that expressed his image into all creation. But it became corrupted by Satan's sinful nature and became the flesh at the point of its corruption. So the same principle applies to the soul, which was created pure and good, but was later influenced by the flesh. It was threatened and then controlled by the flesh, which birthed self. So just as sin corrupted the body and it became the flesh, so the flesh influenced and controlled the soul, which birthed this idea of self. Now, finally, the 12th item is the whole of creation. So the whole creation was damaged and corrupted by the rebellion of the angelic life and the illegal union of the angelic, the fallen angelic life with the human life. And by the transgression of this human life, uh, all these things were brought into being. So this brings the whole creation under a kind of groaning because of the bondage of corruption through the power of sin that's talked about in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. So what then is the center of the old creation? 
What is uh, at the very focal point of these things? Well, these 12 items, if you add them together, they make up the entirety of the old creation. Now, the old creation includes uh, many things, but we need to be clear that at this point, uh, the fallen man becomes the very center of the old creation. Yes, you are the center of the universe, so to speak. The old man is related to each one of the 12 parts of the old creation. First, Satan gets into man and became one with man, including, uh, included with Satan uh, entering man is the kingdom of Satan. So since Satan is in man, then the kingdom of Satan is also in man. And the kingdom of Satan is his system of rule. So Satan is the rule of the world. So the world too then is included in Satan and is also in man. And of course, embodied in man are sin, which births sins, which result in death. Now the flesh, the old man, and the old self, which are introduced, are also in man. And man was and still is the head of all creation. Now according to Genesis 1, man was ordained to be the head of all of creation. So man is related to the entirety of creation and the whole creation is related to man and centralized in man. So man is the very center of the old creation in every aspect. He nearly becomes all-inclusive, but not in a good sense. So if a person wanted to meet the devil, there's really no need for that person to go to some special place. By uh, going to man, you will find and meet Satan. If you desire to meet the kingdom of Satan, there's no need for you to go to the moon. If you go to man, you will meet the kingdom of Satan. I think that it's, you know, it may be arguable, but I think that when you look at the way the world is today, you can see the evidence of Satan in a lot of things. And now it's the same with the world. Within man as representing the old creation, there is Satan, the kingdom of Satan, the world, sin and sins, death, flesh, the old man. We're, we're not really a small being. On the contrary, we are really big, all-inclusive humanity, but in a bad sense because the whole of creation is centralized uh, in man and because it is centralized in man something has to happen something needs to take place for the ending of the old creation something needed to happen and as instantaneous as the poison of sin is which affected the power of choice so too was the instantaneous work of God praise the Lord you ought to just be jumping up and down right now because God moved in in instantaneously to deal with the necessity for change God himself became incarnated in man now this means that God put all creation upon himself so when God put man upon himself he put all things of the old creation upon himself let me give you an example it says in the scriptures that God made Christ 
to be sin. Not plural sins, but singular sins. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Check the text. Check me out. See if I'm on the boulevard. God has also caused all of our iniquities to fall on Christ. Isaiah 53 and 6 declares this. Scripture also declares who bore our sins, plural, in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2 and 24. So he was in the likeness of the flesh of sin, Romans 8 and 3. The likeness is the likeness of the flesh, and this human flesh is the flesh of sin. So John 1 and 14 says that the word became flesh. That is, he became a human person. So when he becomes a human person in the flesh, he became a human person in the flesh of sin, since by that time, sin was within the human flesh, which was the purpose of him coming. So the flesh had become the flesh of sin, and the Lord became incarnated in this flesh. Now, Hold on to your horses because we have to be very careful here uh, as I'm explaining this that I don't lose you. If we say that he became the exact flesh that we have, uh, that is, as far as our sinful nature is concerned, we would be wrong because that's not what I'm saying. Romans 8 and 3 tells us that he became just the likeness of the flesh of sin not the sinful nature of the flesh of sin and it's critical that we discern the difference between these two statements being the likeness of and being the very thing of in John 3 and 14 the Lord Jesus himself tells us that he was typified by the bronze serpent which hung on the pole which is the representation of the cross so the bronze serpent had only only the likeness of a serpent but did not contain the poisonous nature of the serpent now the Lord Jesus was born of a virgin so that he might have the likeness of the flesh of sin but he had nothing to do with man as far as the sinful nature of the flesh was concerned because Jesus was not of the seed of Adam but he was of the seed of God so we have to be very careful about this matter and as we're trying to uh, understand what took place when he was born so when the Lord was made sin he was made in the likeness of sin he not only put man upon himself but he also put Satan the kingdom of Satan the world sin in the plural sin in the sing or in the uh, sin in the singular and sins in the plural he put flesh and all these different elements upon himself now again we can, we have to be careful the Lord was incarnated as a man not as a serpent but when he was crucified on the cross he was crucified as a man in the form of the serpent why it's because at this stage man was one with the devil which is the serpent. So the Lord Jesus and even John the Baptist told the Pharisees that they were what? The seed of the serpent and what? A generation 
of vipers. There's a reason why he said that. He didn't say that just because that was the saying of the day. They were the seed of the serpent because they had the serpent's life. The poisonous nature of the serpent was in them. And in the eyes of God, they as sinful people had become the serpent. But the Lord incarnated as a man had only the likeness of the flesh of sin, not the sinful nature that sinful people possess. So like the bronze serpent on the pole, the Lord had only the likeness of the serpent, not the nature and the poison of the serpent. And it's important that we understand that Jesus uh, was not sinful in his coming. He was the only one without sin. And the Bible is clear on this. Now, uh, let's go to the cross. So we come to the cross. This is the first thing that Jesus does. He puts on himself the likeness of man. And man was the all-inclusiveness of the old creation. So man represented everything that was in the new creation. And then as Jesus takes man, the representative of all of creation upon himself, he brings man, this representative, to the cross. Now, there at the cross, this all-inclusive man is crucified. So this means that all things were put to an end. Hallelujah. This is the power of the cross. All things were put to an end. You ought to put in the comment section. All things were put to an end at the cross. And this is the principle of and the necessity for the cross. Because by this kind of death, Christ brought man to the cross and thereby brings everything to an end. Not only was Christ crucified there, but so were man crucified there. The world was crucified there. The devil was crucified there. The kingdom of darkness was crucified there. Sin in its singular form was crucified there. Sin in their plural form was crucified there. The old man, the old nature was crucified there. All things of the old creation were brought to an end by the power of the cross of Christ. This is why we must experience this all-inclusive death. These verses uh, should be that you should be looking at right now. They should be coming across your screen. Uh, will reveal the principle of the cross in putting all things of the old creation to an end. The angelic life, number one, Colossians one and twenty. The human life. Galatians 2 and 20, Satan, Hebrews 2, 14, John 12 and 31, the kingdom of Satan, Colossians 2 and 15 and John 12 and 31, sin in the singular, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, Romans 8 and 3, sins in their plural, 1 Peter 2 and 24 and Isaiah 53 and 6, the world, Galatians 6 and 14, John 12 and 31, Death, Hebrews 2 and 14. The flesh, Galatians 5 and 24. The old man, Romans 6 and 6. Self, Galatians 2 and 20. And then all things or all of creation, Colossians 1 and 20. Now, I just gave you a bullet point list of the 12 things connected to the old creation that God took care of on the cross. Now, John 12 and 31 says that the world and the ruler of this world who is Satan were to be judged and cast out. Well, when does this happen? According to verse 24, it happened at the death of uh, Jesus on the cross. By his 
his death, the world was judged and the ruler of the world was cast out. Hebrews 2 and 14 declares that Christ partook of blood and flesh that through death he might what? destroy or essentially annul the power of him who has the might of death that was the devil in that time. This verse reveals that Jesus by his death in the flesh and blood destroyed or annulled Satan who has the might of death. As a matter of fact when the devil comes uh, around your way and tries to cause you to believe things that are not true you ought to just just remind him that his power has been annulled. For so long I've heard in the church people say things like uh, the, the devil uh, has a little power. He doesn't have all power but he has a little power and that's really according to the death of Christ on the cross not scripturally correct for those that have chosen to live in the new creation. The devil has no power over you. His power was annulled at the cross his power was destroyed over you at the cross of Christ as a matter of fact Colossians 1 and 20 says that Christ reconciled what all things to himself so this is proof that not only was a man wrong with God but all things were also wrong with God if all things weren't wrong with God there would be no need for reconciliation of all things so according to the context of the passage all creation was dealt with by the power of the cross it is amazing that the power of the cross was more than just dealing with the sin of man but it was dealing with the entirety of creation itself so we need to be deeply impressed with the kind of death that Christ died on the cross sometimes we gloss over the death of Christ on the cross so that we can get to the resurrection of Christ from the grave but both of these two principal acts of Jesus are equally important to the believers uh, eternity that death was an all-inclusive death this is why we must experience that death all that we have all that we are all that we do all that we feel all that we think and all to which we are related have been brought to the cross so that it might be crucified that all things might pass away and because and behold all things become new so the cross is the end of all things related to us in our old creation this is why I tell people don't go to the cross to pray because the cross is not the place to pray or meet Jesus the cross is the place for you to hang your old creation your old nature and everything that you're attached to so that it can be crucified so that a new thing can be born in you everything has been dealt with and already crucified on the cross the cross is the only ground for all that we are and all that we have to be dealt with. We have to put all these things to the cross. Our knowledge, our wisdom, our ability, our sense of good, our morality, whatever it might be, this is the principle of the cross. There's no other ground. We may think that we are good. We may have the idea that we are good. I talk to a lot of young people and young people especially always 
think that they're good. They say things like, we're young and we're good. We're not like you old folks. Uh, but no matter how good you may think you are, we all need to come to the cross. Uh, we have to be crucified and crossed out. As a matter of fact, if we're going to be honest, the visitation of the cross should be something that's made daily because the Bible declares you ought to crucify yourself daily. Where do you crucify yourself? You crucify yourself at the cross. Why do you go to the cross? Because the cross is a representation of the death of the old nature and the birth of the new nature. The death of the power of the devil over you and the, the birth of God's power over you. The death of your rebellion and the birth of your restoration. This is what is taking place at the cross. The, the more good you think you are, the more you should be crossed out. You must never be proud of being good regardless of whether you are good or evil. We all have to pass through the power of the cross. Even when I do good, I don't do good by the power of self. I do good by the power of God in me because it is by the grace of God that I live, that I move and that I have my being. It is by the grace of God that anything that come out of me be considered good that God might be declared glorious as a result of his working in and through me. We should not ever elevate ourselves wrongly, put ourselves on a pedestal for which we do not belong. There is but one evaluation for man. We must put ourselves to death. I've got to die so that I can live. Nothing of the old creation is in the church. The church is the new man. It's the new creation. All things have passed away and everything has become new. This means that all things have been put to an end in death and everything is new in the power of resurrection. We keep looking for a resurrection that's to come and we miss the necessity of the resurrection that is in us right now. You can't be in the new creation if you have not already tasted a form of resurrection. It is the resurrection power that pulls you from death back into life. It is the power of resurrection at our conversion from our old creation to our new creation that changes everything for us. I've shown you the principle of the cross and in my next sermon to you next week I'm going to show you the principle of the real resurrection. You ought to tune in and my prayer is that your minds will be open to see that all the things that are related to us whether they be good whether they be bad must be utterly put to death then there will be the way for us to come into the power and the liberation of real resurrection which births us into our new creation you cannot have a new creation without having a new birth and you cannot have a new birth without having a death what got to go is the old you what's got to go is your old thinking what's got to go is your old morality what's got to go is your old way what's got to go is your old 
old culture. What's got to go is your old tradition. What's got to go is the old self so that the new self born after Christ Jesus, the new motives born after Christ Jesus, the new morality born after Christ Jesus, the new knowledge born after Christ Jesus, all of you which is born after Christ Jesus will have the opportunity to now live. You've got two creations, you've got two natures, but you've only got one choice. Make the right choice and let the old things die so that new things can live. God bless you. You have an awesome day in the Lord and know that we are praying for you.